So welcome to a special Christmas edition of our Cedar Better Conflicts podcast. Today we are joined by not one, not two, but three experts from within the organization. And for those listeners not familiar with CEDA, the organization has three distinct areas of activity alongside our not-for-profit foundation and outreach arm. These are commercial dispute resolution, the provision of principally mediation services and schemes, but also include adjudication, arbitration, and early neutral evaluation, among others. There's training and consultancy, just skills and solutions for individuals, organizations, and governments around the world, looking to become more effective at how they manage and resolve conflict. And consumer dispute resolution, providing alternative dispute resolution services across a wide array of industries, from gambling and travel to sewerage and financial services, to consumers who are in dispute with an organization. Now, those brief overviews don't do their work justice, but I'm sure we'll dive down into more detail throughout the podcast. And the aim of this podcast is to do what CEDA does incredibly well, which is to pull together the expertise and learning from these three distinct but ultimately connected departments to look at what have they learned during the crazy year of 2020? How have they adapted to the new world in which we are all living? And what are the challenges moving forward in 2021 and beyond? And more importantly, what might some of the solutions be? So without further ado, our three experts are Susanna Shula, Director of Training and Consultancy at CEDA. Susanna, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Ben. Nice to be back. Lauren McGurl, Director of Commercial Dispute Services. Lauren, welcome to the podcast for the first time. Thanks for having me, Ben. And last but by certainly not least, John Munton, Director of Dispute Resolution Services. John, also welcome to the podcast for the first time. Thanks, Ben. Nice to be here. Fantastic. So to sort of kick things off, um, for any organisation facing a crisis, you know, it's incredibly important that they remain focused on delivering a high quality service. And if I could start with you, John, because you have the highest staff role of any department at CEDA, how did you manage the process of moving the entire operation from in-house or in-person to remote? Well, I guess like everyone else in the world, Ben, um, we had to learn very quickly um, when the, the COVID restrictions started to come in. So uh, we we had to take a very rapid look at all the, all the uh, work that we were doing and which elements of that work were not um, availability electronically. So luckily for our consumer uh, protection work, we were pretty much all online already. Most of our kit is in the cloud. Uh, so that that uh, gave us an advantage over um, some other businesses where a lot of their work is face-to-face or as tends to be remote um, by design. So it was really, I think the biggest challenge we had was making sure that everyone on the team, of which I think there's about 40 of us at the moment, had access to the right kit uh, and the right support uh, when they're all working at home in very, very different um, situations. So we've got quite a young team. So we've got um, the old guard like myself who has a reasonably comfortable house with a spare room I can use as an office, but we've, we've got young uh, members of staff who it's their first job and they're working at home with their family um, or they're in rented accommodation and they might only have access to one room so trying to help them get up, get set up to work effectively was actually probably the biggest challenge in the early months. Uh, and that really was, uh, encompassed uh, software, 
kit, things like desks, chairs, yeah. all sorts of things, uh, and then just making sure that we supported our staff as best as we could in the circumstances. So we had to learn a lot very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And Lauren and Suze, does that sort of reflect the, the, the sort of challenges and things that you face in terms of managing your team and moving them from in-person to remote? Well, we, I think the challenge was not only to move them to remote, but in a way from one day to another almost. I think we had 48 hours or something when it was clear now we have to prepare for a lockdown. Thankfully, to Cedar and our, also our IT person, we have prepared for that couple of months beforehand without knowing that this would be the situation. But we had in 48 hours to decide, okay, what do we take home? What, what do we have to do? Like in a real crisis, to switch on the computer on a Monday and everything works. So that was like a first shock and it worked well. And from then on, we thought, okay, this has potential, let's see. And then we, of course, had to uh, discuss as a team, but also across teams. So I think the experience from John helped my team tremendously to do the next steps because he had to do it on a large scale and we could benefit from the learning. So that was really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would just like to echo that. I think there was, there was a lot of, of trial and error, um, which most organizations will have experienced um, in the in, in essentially the, the transition in March, which occurred from having an in-person or, or an office-based uh, service uh, to then moving to something which is completely virtual and remote. And it was really helpful to have across the organization, you know, different experiences and be able to share and collaborate in terms of how we could take that forward and learn from each other. Mm -hmm. And John mentioned a lot of their activity was already online. And I understand, John, a lot of your experts already work remotely the adjudicators but Lauren and Suze you might want to touch on this as well a lot of the experts that you work with are very used to delivering a service in person namely our mediators so how did you go about sort of supporting them to you know move their, their practice to a virtual setting whereas that that's might might have been something they've never done before yeah well well as as Suze had picked up kind of earlier on we had seen the writing on the wall in, in February. And so we had begun to move towards uh, a remote offering then. Um, in addition, on the mediation front, although we will have had some mediations which have taken place remotely, the predominant, um, or sorry, the majority of our mediations take place took place in person prior to March. Uh, so we had to very, very quickly transition our mediator base so that they could provide a, a virtual offering. And what we were able to do there is, is essentially run trainings on Zoom and Teams and, um, and additional other platforms that clients were asking us for, such as uh, Google Meet, things like that, and then um, come up with protocols and learning. And those documents and those trainings then evolved over the course of the, the kind of first six months of the crisis in order to pull in learning from not only within CEDAR, but also across the, the mediator base, which we have, which is a, about 150 mediators worldwide. And again, that process helped us again, because uh, our part of the business was at zero in March, because training was only presence training. We had some online learning modules, but they were not live, they were um, recorded. And because of Lawrence department had to switch again, because mediations were scheduled, you had to do them um, and upskilling the mediators at the same time helped us that our uh, most of our trainers are practicing mediators. So they had like 
um, some head start and warmed up to the idea. I think for us, the delay was we had to transform training from presence into virtual. And for us, the fear was at the beginning, does that work? Because yes, the whole world worked into uh, it. Mediation can only be trained in a presence course. So it took us four weeks to transform the entire training, which is our gold standard training. So it, it's certified um, by the CMC, by the IMI. So that reputation we've built over 30 years and we've trained over 9,000 mediators so far was really, yeah, at stake. So again, it was um, really important to have a team of highly competent people to do this and then to trial it out. And having then already a little bit of head start with the mediation was online and getting some, some insights into how those platforms work helped us then to be more confident what can be done and what not. And, and it worked out in the end successfully. And I can't emphasize enough how important it is to then communicate and collaborate as an organization and learn from each other and, and share the information and really pull those people together who have already learned something and who can um, lead on that. That was crucial for the success. And I think in addition to kind of the, the operational move that we had and the service offering move that we had, which, which happened in each of the units, um, all three of us also experienced a shift for clients. So whether those clients were consumers or um, lawyers, private practice lawyers and house lawyers, at people who were looking for training, suddenly they were also a bit at sea kind of, you know, I wanted to do this. I wanted to have a mediation. I wanted to resolve my dispute or I wanted to get trained as a mediator or I wanted to get trained in another skill that CEDAR offers. And how am I going to do that virtually? And how long is this going to last for in terms of living in a virtual world versus being able to go back to, to in-person, which if you can remember back to, to March, we all thought this was going to be a, a three-week, six-week stint when it was first announced. And, and that certainly did not happen. I think I feel um, I feel I've had the easiest ride from the three departments because CEDAR's consumer protection work is is a paper-based system that has been delivered remotely for, for some time already. It was a big biggest challenge challenge was making sure that the, the workforce were were able to continue their work, whereas uh, mediation and training have basically had to fundamentally change the way they deliver their, their services. And they did that in a matter of a few weeks. Uh, I, I did read somewhere yesterday that um, the lockdown has accelerated the move away from the high retail in the high street to a more online. So we're predicting it would be predominantly online by 2030. And now it, it is already because businesses have had to adapt and Cedars had to do that big time. Uh, and, it, and I think it's it's kind of um, reset the what's the art of the possible. So I certainly think from mediation's point of view, before the lockdown, there was not a great deal of uh, online mediation going on in the UK. And now there's an awful lot going on. Uh, and actually, it's made very little difference to the settlement rates. I think the only difference is it's actually gone up a little bit. Uh, and you've only got to look, I was looking on Google reviews yesterday, as you do on a Sunday afternoon on CEDAR's <laughs> website, and the feedback from the recent online training of mediation skills is phenomenal. So I, th I think it's sort of 
as tough as it's been and as horrible as it is, it's also opened some sort of new thinking and new, new ideas of, of how to do what we do. Mm-hmm. And Sue's so just picking up on that because one of the things when it came to um, shifting Cedar's mediator skills training from in-person to online, one of the big things we were focused on is, is ensuring that people were confident they were going to get access to the same content, same trainers, the same accreditation. And do you, I mean, a lot of the feedback suggests that they've, you know, been incredibly happy on that front. But do you, you know, do you think this method of training people online is here to stay? Yeah, we, we crossed the Rubicon, as the metaphor says, so we, there's no way back. And I think it's now also to explore the opportunity. So there was necessity, and to a certain extent, we were reactive. And then we went always into the phase of being proactive and now more creative. I think there are lots of opportunities which are possible because, and I think that is the essence why it works for our mediator skills training, is it's about the skills. And it should not matter if it's virtual or face-to-face because being able to communicate effectively, to actively listen, to manage emotions, etc., should be possible in whatever environment. I'm not denying that presence will have its place and it's crucial and important. I also see there are opportunities when we see the diversity of participants we can have now, which actually enhances the impact on those trainings. So we have different time zones. People don't have to travel anymore. So we can engineer now having trainings in a US time zone where people from Latin America can join or an Asian time zone so we can have hubs, which means it's more affordable for people to attend. It's more climate friendly. So I think that part will have to stay because the next crisis is the climate crisis. And we can now set an example. But also I think our mission is creating a better world through having better conflicts and better outcomes. So the more people I can reach in Timbuktu, in Outer Mongolia, I don't know where Wi-Fi is, we can actually deliver that message. And so, yes, there will be the important part. It will be there will be an online place for online learning. There will be hybrid versions. I think now we we, we are see there are the original disruptors. I think we were the pioneers. We now gathered experience, and now the next step is to see what we can do with the learning and how we give access and use that in a smart way to include and not to exclude. Mm-hmm. and see, again, where presence is required. And I think that, of course, human connection and the need for it, thankfully, I don't think it will, well, in the next thousand years, I'm optimistic, will not die out. Who knows? If you're all bionic with electronic brains, that might then stop. But <laughs> at least for the next generations, yeah. that will stop. And, and Lauren, Sue's mentioned there the hybrid, so a combination of in-person and virtual and John touched on the upsurge in, in, in remote mediation. Do you think that in 2021, when a vaccine hopefully comes in and it's rolled out, people will continue to still use remote dispute resolution services as well as maybe some in-person activity? I think that's right. I think as we move towards a, a reopening of, of in-person activity throughout um, not only the UK, but um, throughout the world as, as a vaccine gets rolled out and, and things become safer, uh, what you're most likely to see is is two things. I think one, remote mediation will be used as a cost-effective means for low-value cases. 
um, to have to pay for travel, to have to pay for counsel and um, private practice lawyers, as as well as the, the clients travel themselves all to get into one room is just now seen as not necessary. Um, as John mentioned, our, our settlement rates have actually gone up. And so I think for time-limited mediations, which are more cost-effective and for low-value disputes, remote mediation will still very much be the way forward. For disputes that are more complex or that have higher values attached to them and therefore additional cost is proportionate to, to the value in dispute, I think what you're likely to see is the, the actual mediation day itself will take place in person subject to, as kind of Sue's touched on, you know, travel and um, uh, availability. But I think what you will see and what we've seen a, a big trend in is there's a lot more work now done using video conferencing technology upfront. So the introductory calls are longer. They're not just between one of the solicitors and the mediator, but rather it's the whole teams involved, the lay client, the barrister, um, multiple members of the solicitor team. And I think that will very much stay. That has seen as a, been seen as a real value add and seen as a real step forward in getting the process moving much quicker. And so you will see that continue. So I don't think remote mediation is by any means replacing in-person mediation when things open up, but I think the two will work hand in hand. And what do you think will be the impact on, say, the sort of traditional one-day mediation model where everyone comes together for eight hours plus for, for a mediation? Do you think you might have smaller interventions, you know, with the advent of video conferencing technology? Yeah, I think that's right. So I think I think what you're now going to see, and we were already seeing a trend towards this prior to COVID, which is time-limited mediations for smaller value disputes. So for instance, we run a scheme for Central London County Court where those disputes are mediated within a three-hour time slot. And I think you'll see, you'll definitely see more of that. Um, but also at the at the higher end, what you're seeing in terms of, of value of disputes, you're seeing more work being done up front so that when the mediation actually takes place, when everyone is brought together for the plenary session, you do still need to have an element of pressure applied in order to get people to focus their minds and to get people to, to move. Um, if, if there's no pressure, you can have a bit of a bit of inertia. Um, but provided you have that, what you do have is in advance of the mediation, there's just a lot more work taking place um, in terms of the exploration phase taking place over over these early video conferencing calls. And it does mean that when the mediation happens, whether it's over a series of days or over a series of meetings or over a single day, that essentially more work has been done ahead of time and they're able to start and get to grips with the issues much quicker and therefore progress much quicker. There's one point I would like to mention because we mentioned now a couple of times affordable and cheaper. I think it's important that customers understand that the services, because it's the same content, the same experts, it's not a cheaper version of our services. The cost savings are the traveling and we have, let's say it's more effective and access to experts can be more targeted. So you can really be more effective. And I would really say that the pricing is for the expertise you get the same because in the end you get access to the expertise. So that is, I think, something really to, to have in mind because I now realized over the last months that organizations might say, oh, it's online, so it will be cheaper. Me then um, exploring, so why do you think that? So, and then you have interesting conversations. So I think to establish and position virtual learning 
versus face-to-face -face, um, is important, but also to see what what has it in common. So in a way, you're not you're not losing out. You actually get extra value, or there are costs and benefits on on both sides. And John, just to go to the the consumer dispute resolution sector at, for the moment. Lauren mentioned earlier at the beginning of lockdown, um, clients getting quite angsty or, or anxious. And I think one of the things that we're always incredibly impressed when we come to the consumer department or when we used to be able to in person was the incredible skill and patience that your team demonstrated when dealing with um, aggrieved customers on the phone. With lockdown, I mean, it, it, all the research shows that it has made people more anxious, nervous, potentially angry. Have you seen that play out in some of the interactions that your teams had to deal with? Uh, yes, yes, we certainly have. I, I guess the, the way to put it into context is See, this consumer protection work is all about providing consumers and the businesses that they are um, purchasing goods from that are, with an opportunity to try and resolve their differences um, through ADR rather than having to go to the courts. So by definition, every customer that comes to us is unhappy uh, because they haven't received the service that they think they're entitled to by the company that they're complaining about. Uh, so... To sort of give you an example, so we, we, we do work with a number of the large uh, telecommunications companies in the UK, uh, and all of the telecommunication companies in the UK had difficulties in the early days when everybody went home and uh, put Netflix and Call of Duty on. Uh, so there were uh, uh, a lot of um, unhappy customers calling, calling us, asking us to intervene. Uh, I think we all felt pretty anxious and angry at the time in one way or another. So it was not unexpected. Happily, our team have uh, all received training uh, in how to manage difficult conversations, how to acknowledge emotion from a customer and be able to, to deal with that and basically try and help the customer take their issue forward rather than uh, for it just to become a, a session where um, a lot of anger and emotion is expressed, but they're really not taking their complaint forward at all. So we did see a lot of that in the early days. It has calmed down a little bit, although it's still noticeably more challenging on, on the lines in the contact centre than it has been in the past. Um, so we, we, we're working with that as best we can, but I think that's pretty common. I think um, a lot of organisations are having difficulties with having a completely at-home workforce if they're providing a, you know, like an airline or a telecoms company or a TV services company. It is more difficult, I think, to do what they do. So, yeah, so it's 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 challenging for our team. I think that's one of our big, um, big issues that we have to be aware of is supporting our team because they're quite used to having difficult conversations in the office where they're surrounded by colleagues who are all working on with the same issues. It's a little different when you're at home. Uh, I, I worry that um, it feels a little bit like a home invasion when you've got angry strangers calling you at home. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's something where we're, we're managing as well. But uh, I think it's just inevitable and, and something we, 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 we have to work with. And it's really important that the whole team have good, good quality training around managing that kind of call in a constructive way and that they do a really good job of it. So of course, for CEDA, it's important that we walk the talk. So we give our training to customers. 
we are also our own customers internally. So especially for the consumer team, we started years ago to give all the training we give for customers also internally and to customize it. And it has become more and more important over the last years because the workload increased and also more and more schemes involved. And now doing it remotely, I think it's even more important for the personal resilience of staff. So it's not only having difficult conversations with the customers, but also how do you maintain and manage, maintain resilience and manage your own emotions whilst doing that. And then, yeah, living like a multitask life. So you're at home, you might have a family, you have then the customer on the phone, there might be homeschooling. So I think there are a lot more pressures now you have to operate under and to manage. And I think we, we can't really expect our staff to do all of that with any support. So we take that quite seriously. And we are aware that training goes so far. So we try also to make enough time to be there and offer them, for example, having a conversation or rehearsing it instead of just giving the training, but actually if there's a concrete case that they can talk that through. Yeah, I think the um, I think the work on active listening as well has been really helpful. Uh, the the new um, uh, interactive training modules that have been developed um, by our colleagues in the business have, have been a great help. I think with giving the team when they first join us, so that sort of that bedrock of expertise in how to do those have those conversations right from the get go is, is is a good a good start. Uh, so we're, I think we're kind of lucky that we have access to this kind of expertise. So there's not many organisations that can call on a former Met Police hostage negotiator, um, which our, our colleague Phil Williams is, um, to help us to manage difficult conversations, because I suspect he's had more of them and more challenging ones than, than we will ever see. So uh, we're very fortunate to be able to call on that kind of expertise from other parts of the business. Which is actually another point I would like to mention, our conflict experts. So we have also Felicity Steadman, who is a former or still labor relations expert working in South Africa. Um, we have other experts working in the businesses to give them also access to our staff, because we believe it's important to, um, we, are, we would call it a family at the same time we learn from each other. And uh, you are, um, John's part of the business gives us also a reality check. So what is out there? And to stress test us and also maintain that relationship, I think is invaluable as well. The same uh, connecting to Lauren's business. A lot of our trainers and faculty are mediators. And so we're working, all of us and our uh, respective associates and consultants work in all parts of the business. Hence, they have quite a good idea what's going on, but also getting um, access to real scenarios. So what we train or teach is not made up. So we're all practitioners and we can really say that is the truth because we practice all the time, even in our own business. So it's like a 24 hour seven, not a job, it's almost a passion, a life attitude. I still want to say, yes, of course, it's a job. But if you choose to work in this field, I think you sign up for something that um, is more than just your job because you 
active listening, for example, doing that all day long in your work has an impact at your home as well. So for us, it's teaching and living the skills for life in every aspect for our personal self-development. And I think, again, one of the aims I find important is that you can lead a self-fulfilled life, which is only possible if you have access to those conversations, to skills and to those platforms. And especially now where, and I just bring one topic in, I think dialogue is not really happening in a lot of areas at the moment, politically not really. And since uh, the summer, uh, there's the corona, uh, um, anti-corona people, there are the Brexit people, there are the US elections. So everything is polarized and the skills we teach or we live help actually to create dialogue. And that is what John's team does on a daily basis. So just reminding us that we can be part of helping create dialogue. Yeah, it's funny you should say that. Uh, so I, I don't practice as a mediator and have no desire to do so, but I, I think I've used the skills I learned on the course more <laughs> this year than I ever thought I would. And it's been, it's been two things. It has been with colleagues, and I have had some difficult conversations with colleagues. There's been some conflict from time to time as we've all been working under a lot of pressure. But I found that using those skills, we've had the ability to take a step back to analyse what the conflict was, you know, um, explore it and then move on, which is, I think has actually been really helpful. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with having a bust up with a colleague if you can if you can actually make sense of it later after you've had a chance to have a cup of tea and a deep breath. So I found myself doing that. And I've actually found myself using these skills in my home life with <laughs> friends and relatives uh, when they become anxious about the situation with COVID. Actually having, having sessions where I'm actively listening and then sort of reframing back to them what they're thinking as <laughs> I found myself doing it more than once. Um, to deeply impress my family. Um, but it, it's it's funny how it sort of gets under your skin. You just, once you've had the training, it, it never leaves you. And I, it's actually been extremely helpful in some, you know, some, some tough moments actually to sort of take the emotion out of it, listen, play back, and then, you know, everybody was able to move on. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's the training that keeps on giving, for, certainly from my point of view anyway. Now, I, I definitely like to agree with that. Um, I find it quite helpful, in particular, dealing with my four-year-old and my seven-year-old, um, uh, who uh, who active listening has has massively changed our relationship. Um, but uh, there's there's nothing like practicing your mediation skills. I think on a on an unreasonable four-year-old who's uh, who can't be pleased, um, and it, it does it does massively help. Um, but there is there's a, a lot of of um, assistance that's been provided for it in relation to our our ability to use these skills in relation to clients. And then, as John said, also the byproduct of using them internally. So um, in order to diffuse conflict within the organization, because obviously the, you know, the transition in March from, from being in the office, being together, seeing each other, at having those small conversations that mean that you have a, a very tight personal relationship with people over time, and then suddenly having all of that disappear. Um, 
And so trying to find different ways in order to make those connections, but also different ways in order to, to work with people. Some people who, who work very like you, you know, I have some members of my team, we think very much alike and others who, if I think one thing, they're going to think the exact opposite and, and learning how to deal with that and also how to address that and, and appreciate where they're coming from. There's one connecting to Lauren. So, of course, remote collaboration has been one of those myth topics before COVID. How do you do that? There's a magic one. I think we're living that now. And again, it doesn't happen just like that. You can't just like you can't tell four year olds just play together nicely. So you have to give some sort of skill or understanding what how that looks like. So I think one big thing for me this year was we could refine what we already do and reframe it as how to actually help organizations and members of staff to work remotely together effectively. So I think that is something which is a big innovation that came out of for us, for CEDA, where we can even go further now with the skills we teach. One of the things I've found with um, dealing with conflict with colleagues is when they're on, when they're in front of you on a screen and their head is about three foot across, <laughs> um, there's a there's a much more focus I find to the conversations than you might get. So if you went off to a room in the office in a normal working environment, I'm not sure you have quite the same conversation. I'm not really sure, but I, I've certainly found, you know, if you take the time, people are are being pretty open and willing to talk things through you know in detail whereas perhaps you might not get that if they need to get back to the desk or, or something else is going on and sort of that leads us on nicely to look at 2021 and beyond and and like john says challenges and opportunities and Sue's, you met you've discussed sort of remote collaboration and distance management for organization are there any other challenges that you see well cedar facing or other organizations facing as we move into a, another new world and, and also how, how CEDA might be able to help with some of these. I think the whole idea of what work actually is and is not will now be hopefully discussed more, not just in the context of the crisis, but thinking of, you know, before that we had a lot of, of interventions and organizations about trust. And now that seems to be overnight okay to trust people working from home. Before COVID, that was often a no-go. You can't trust people when they work from home. So I think to redefine what that means, how what accountability means, what effectiveness means and well-being, not to have just empty words, but really finding ways how people can work more effectively rather than just being there from nine to five and the whole idea also about commute and um, the insanity of, I think it's sometimes Kafkaes when you when you live in London or in other big cities and you just do the commute in the morning where you think, is that human? Is that real? Is that, why is that happening? Who engineered that? Uh, that, yeah, almost that, that paradigm that you have to do this in this way or the whole offices, the discussions about how an office needs to be designed. We can, have now the freedom to rethink, do we all the time have to be all the time in the, in the same office? Or can we do that in a more creative way that also helps people to live a more self-determined life, to create a work-life balance, to have families, and especially in, in big cities like London, New York, et cetera, where 
you can't afford anymore to live nearby your workplace, you have to commute for a long time. Can you then now be more flexible where you actually work? And for us at CEDA, we could rethink where do we get our talent from? In my team, two people are now working in different countries. And one of uh, the team members um, is not even in, in London, it's further out and it works. So can we engineer different ways, but also can we access different people? When I now schedule a training, I can say, oh, I have uh, one colleague joining from the US, another one from Lebanon. I don't even have to apply for a visa anymore. I can have both best trainers for a special training in the same training room, in the same virtual training room, and have and can create so more diversity. So that is the, the dialogue I wish to have and to stimulate in organizations to break that, that pattern of um, everyone has to be there and you have to command controls people's lives without giving them a chance to contribute. I can certainly remember having been a commuter for 30 years or more. And back in the day, it was sort of who's going to leave the office first? Because you had to be seen to be in the office. Whereas I think um, we'd already started to embrace remote working. So one of my senior managers actually lives in Stockholm and he's been remote working for us for a couple of years. Um, but it, I, I think it's right. I think one of the big opportunities is it just opens up a much wider pool of talent. So we've just hired an adjudicator who lives in Birmingham, for example. Um, it, where the geographical location of the candidate is no longer a major decision point, whereas back in the old days, it was, well, if it takes them more than two hours to get into town, then will they stick it? It's no longer something you have to think about. So I think that's been good. And I think that's, that'll be a big change going forward. Uh, and I think the opportunities to offer a better work-life balance. So we've, we've, CEDA is actually a pretty good employer in terms of supporting its staff, uh, particularly um, young mums when they want to come back to work. They've always had a very flexible attitude. And I think the remote work is going to make that even more um, flexible and give us an opportunity to, to retain working mums who might otherwise be thinking that maybe they're going to have to drop out of the workforce for a few years, but that's mm -hmm. no longer necessary. So that, that's a really And of positive. course, working dads as well, young working dads as well, yes. not only working mums. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, working dads too. Um, so I think that's going to be great. I think being able to uh, give back those one to three hours a day that people use to troll up to London at uh, £350 a week or whatever it is, um, is a really positive thing. And then... And I think it'll also help us to focus on when we do get together is that those interactions are more, more um, interactive and purposeful that actually have significant meaning that uh, you kind of lose it. If you see someone all the time, it's not the same. But if you're coming in for a, a, an all-day training session with your colleagues, I think that you don't see every day of the week, I think it will be different. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Yeah, I think I think the other advantage to remote working is you get to see a different side of people. So, you know, you have their home environment in the background um, there. You may have a call where um, there's an interruption, whether that is their partner or their kids. Or in my case, I have one particular cat that loves to join video conferencing calls. Um, but you get you get a slightly different and more relaxed view of their of their person. And that that is whether they're a client or whether they're a colleague. 
And I think that has been really good because you, you get to see both the pressures um, and the advantages that they that they have in terms of, of working from home. And I think it makes everyone a bit more understanding and a bit more patient, which is really good. Um, I also think kind of, I guess, moving away from kind of the internal and, and inward looking aspects of, of what's going to happen in 2021, but looking more towards towards kind of what client needs and things are, you know, as the economic impact of COVID continues, um, typically disputes are countercyclical um, and people do, do the disputes, disputes do fester and they breed um, in an economic downturn. And so the the cost of being able to address that conflict um, is is definitely going to be something that organizations, both small and large, are going to experience and are going to have to deal with. And that's whether you're looking at internal conflict because of remote working and the things that we touched on already in this, or whether you're looking at, at externally, you know, contractual disputes or tort disputes or, or things that are traditional litigation areas. Um, and so one of the, the the things that will compound that is we already know the courts have a massive backlog. Um, and so, you know, that the employment tribunal is talking about a backlog of, of 30,000 to 50,000 cases. Um, the high court is talking about having Nightingale courts, things like that in order to, to clear it. And so looking looking towards that, there's, there's also, you know, ADR um, and in particular kind of mediation and adjudication provide a, a real opportunity for people to empower themselves to solve their own conflicts um, and to do so much more quickly. So I, th I think we will see a, a move towards that in 2021 as people try to find solutions that are actually gonna have an impact during that year, as opposed to kind of three years or five years from when the incident occurred. And in mediation sort of life cycle in the UK, say 30 years, there's been sort of periods where it's, uh, experienced a massive uplift, probably most notably after the Wolf reforms. Do you think this pandemic will be uh, a big factor in driving mediation for, forward even more? Yes, and I think you, you already see that. So um, whereas mediation has always been seen as a tool in a, in a, in a litigator's toolkit, um, you're now starting to see people talk about it outside of the context of litigation, right? And you're also seeing very prominent lawyers and judges talk about the call for the need for it. So for instance, um, you know, comments that have recently been made by Lord Boss and Lord Newberger of kind of, look, we need to find a better way to, to do this. Mediation might be the, the alternative. Um, I think you will see you will see a big pivot towards that as I think people look towards how to solve it. I also think you're going to have a lot of conflict, which will have parties who can't afford lawyers. Um, and when you're in that scenario, the courts can be a very scary place. Uh, and you're very much, if the other side is lawyered up, you're playing on a, on a field that you're unfamiliar with. Um, and so finding some kind of way that you can, you can empower yourself to create a much more level playing field and be able to reach something that is probably more commercial um, and also more beneficial for everybody involved uh, is going to be the, the way forward. And Susan, a big part of what you do, and we, we've touched on a little bit, is working with organisations and, in fact, governments around the world on, on helping them um, sort of tackle issues that they're facing internally, sort of looking to 2021 and sort of reflecting some of the issues that you've helped organisations deal with in this past year. What do you think are going to be the sort of big challenges that organisations are going to face around the world or things they need to tackle immediately? Yeah, so a lot of difficult conversations will now and a second wave of difficult conversations. So we had the whole furlough conversations 
in April, but now we might have redundancy conversations and a lot of other difficult areas. So I think the challenge is there to equip staff and managers and HR departments to do that, but also to find different ways how to reform teams and how to work through that. So a big thing will be rethinking the strategy, how people work together. And that is something where we can add a lot of value, where we already started in organizations working with, um, having conversations or mapping out with them. So who are the stakeholders and shareholders and, and, and what needs to happen? So people, again, um, or people skills will hopefully be re uh, recognized finally as tough skills and not soft skills. So I wish a total reframe in that. You can only be a sufficient and, and successful leader and manager if you have those skills, they're indispensable. And one of our board members, Margaret Heffernan, mentioned that in her latest book, Uncharted, those are the skills you need going forward if you want to be successful and organizations need to recognize that now and better equip yourself now whilst we're all still in crisis mode and, and people accept change better and more when it's in a crisis rather than afterwards when you think you go to the, to the new normal, which will never exist. So I think that emotional cycle of change will now you normally go to the, from denial into the valley of sorrow, and that's where people are now. So it's important to help them out of that. And that is when those skills help. So it will not make it go away, and conflict will not go away, and difficulties will not go away. But the way how you deal with them will unleash new potential and creativity to face something different and prepare yourself for it. So that's essential. Fantastic. And, and John, just any final thoughts on, on the sector of consumer dispute resolution challenges for 2021 and beyond? Uh, I guess the obvious one is that um, we'll probably see more cases related to personal debt uh, within unemployment looking likely to go up significantly. Um, that, I think we're already starting to see that as a possible driver of additional casework. Um, although to be fair, most 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 companies seem to be um, proactively trying to support customers with uh, with issues around debt. But I think it's sadly inevitable that 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 will become more of a theme next year, unfortunately. Although hopefully not for very long. Mm -hmm. Well, this podcast will be going out just before Christmas, um, a time for sort of maybe more joy and. And you know, looking forward and, and happiness, and <laughs> even 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 Cedar's resident Scrooge John, um, yeah, he's showing a smile on his face. But do you have any sort of final thoughts as we leave this 2020 behind and look forward that you'd like to share? Well, I guess my final thoughts were um, so I, I think I think I'm I've got the full the full kit of training. So I've done the work the workplace uh, mediation training, the commercial mediation training, and both uh, negotiation training modules that CEDA provide. And I, I've never never used them as much as I, this year as, I, as as ever before. It's been really surprising how much you you soak up. So I think I would strongly encourage people if you're working in business and you're going to have difficult conversations um, or challenging negotiations, I suspect there'll be a lot of them next year. Money's going to be tight with a lot of companies. Um, see if you can invest in a bit of negotiation training, because I actually have found that particularly useful this year in having some tough conversations 
so when I, when I did that training, I hadn't, I didn't have COVID in mind, but actually I'm so pleased I did it. I'm just sorry there's no more training to do. I seem to have used it all up. <laughs> well, John, we there is enough to do if you want. Happy to help you. Thank you. And Lauren or Susie, any final thoughts? Lauren? Sure. Um, I think, yeah, I think look, 2020 has been a bit of a, a rough ride for for everyone. Um, I'm sure when, when people reflect back on this year, they will they will think of some of the silver linings, whether that's, you know, uh, a bit of a slower pace or more time with your family um, or more time in your bubble um, with those people um, and having some quality connections there. Um, but I think 2021 is is a time for people to to look forward and and to look at how they can can move forward. And hopefully, um, those who are listening to this podcast will very much be uh, focused on that and kind of the the forward movement of what 21 bring 2021 brings and the promise that is is there um, and that we're here to help with that. So I have a quote. Um, Mandela actually said, "Everything is impossible until it's done," and that is my motto for this year because I lived that various times and it's not a year for things you wanted but you um, had or have so to appreciate that and I'm grateful for a great team for colleagues and friends and family and to so it, I think it's really crucial not to forget that and to cherish that going forward for whatever challenge comes next year but this year should give confidence within all that sorrow and bad things that happened this year to say, well, uh, impossible uh, things have achieved, have been achieved and carrying that confidence forward and see what are the next challenges to come. Okay. The human brain is amazing. So we, we will work things out. Suze, John, Lauren, thank you very much for your time today. Have a great new year when it comes and hopefully I look forward to doing more podcasts with you in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.